Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Just before we jump into this week's episode with Rosie, I wanted to share a lovely message from Amanda who said, hello, I just wanted to reach out and say a big thank you. I'm just about to turn one year sober and I contacted you nearly 12 months ago for help. I downloaded your ebook and I have just recently completed your online course and I feel so good hitting one year and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, Amanda, that is such a nice message. I am delighted to know that my tools, my help, my podcast, all of the things that I put out into universe help people like you get to this place where you're feeling amazing and you've smashed it and you're about to turn one year sober. So thank you for sharing that and well done. All right, let's head into the episode. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm going to be talking to Rosie who's in Kent and she is celebrating two years sober in March. So thank you so much for joining me today Rosie. Thank you very much for having me Terry. You know that I've been gagging for this. (laughs) Love that. So why don't you introduce yourself Rosie? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay, I mean, how long have you got, Terry? For starters, um, my name is Rosie uh, Gilmoss. I host a podcast myself called Widowed as Fuck. It's abbreviated to Widowed AF because I don't know if I can swear on here, but I'm sure Terry will bleep me out. Um, and that came about because I am, in fact, widowed as fuck. Now, this ties into my drinking, but is by no means the be all and end all of it um as I was trying to make some notes before I came on I was realizing you know that I've had an issue with alcohol since I was 13 um so yes so it's it's been a a challenging turbulent life shall we say um it's a it's not been a bad life there's been lots and lots of good things that have happened but alcohol um has been my constant companion It has been my social lubricant. It has been the thing that turned me into Beyonce, that turned me into um, a sexual goddess. The thing that enabled me to give guys my number, to share secrets, to form friendships with people that I would have probably avoided. And really, I felt of it as my friend. I felt it was such an integral part of who I was that I didn't know if I existed without it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you did just ask a little bit about me, Sarah, and I went straight in. Um, I also have ADHD. I will just disclose this. Um, So (laughs) my life currently looks like this. I have remarried to another widower called John. Um, I have three children of my own, and he has one. Um, My children are currently 13, 10, and 6. They were 7, 5, and 6 months when my husband died. So it's been, it's not the best start in your life, especially when you've made that mental decision to have another child late in your late 30s. Yeah. Um, but I, I met John through a support group, um, a, a way it was, and 
we were friends and as often happens when you drink <laughs> some people lean through cars and snog virtual strangers and that kiss was uh, reciprocated <laughs> and we we gradually became a couple um things were exacerbated a little by covid um he suffered from covid very badly and actually he did nearly die I, i'm not exaggerating when i say i received the call to tell me that he would probably die oh god yeah so what do you think i did to deal with that terry um, yeah well i think you probably did the, the the best thing you could have done in that moment and actually my therapist regularly says to me you coped the, the only way you knew how yeah Following COVID, we sold our homes. We each had a house and we bought a house together in West Morning, um, which is a really lovely village in Kent. And um, our four children live, in there, live with us all the time because we don't have the luxury of a, a divorced parent anywhere. And mm. it's challenging sometimes and sometimes it's beautiful. It, it's mm. like life, isn't it? You know, mm. but I actually, when I got sober, John got sober too. He didn't intend to. He only planned to do 100 days with me and he found his life was so much better without it and it brought so little to his life. He kind of thought, what's the point? Yeah. He wasn't a big drinker then? No, I think back before he met me, I think back in his teens and early 20s, but he had to go on some medication which where you absolutely couldn't drink and I think he tried it once, realised that it was true and they don't make this stuff up. Um, and then I think when he married, he would then fell into you know, being the driver and... You kind of need one of you, so it's only really possible mm. in a relationship. Mm. Um, and we went when we got together. A lot of our courting, because I'm old now, was based around booze, and especially being older and having more money. You know, we were drinking champagne and going to really nice restaurants. But I was going to these restaurants, and I was going to the toilets, and I wasn't eating the food, mm. and. I was missing out on so much and yes we had a great time and it enabled this kind of uh, romantic relationship to blossom but I was also worried that he wouldn't know who I was afterwards because he met a party girl yeah many things now but party girl is not one yet mm. two years coming from the angle of blended family we, we did briefly talk about this didn't we before we came online obviously I have um I have my own experience with that I'm in a blended family slightly different setup to you um I've got three children but my husband when I met him about five years ago he was a single man and had no kids um and so I had two children at the time my relationship broke down when those kids were very young as well. So I, 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 I really understand and sympathise as well, because that is when you're the only person every day, that is so much pressure. And that ramped up my drinking too. You know, that is a big part of my story. Um, and it's one that I've learned to forgive myself for as well. I think initially in sobriety, I felt a lot of shame over that period of my drinking but I was probably the most lost in that period of my life. And that's why my drinking increased so much to help me cope with the stress of parenting on my own. Um, although, I mean, the dad was still present in their lives. In the early days, it was kind of a an every other weekend type setup. So they just felt like there was a lot of days and nights that kind of bled into each other where it was just me but on top of that there are 
those feelings of low self-worth and self-loathing and just just a very complicated time and you have a very complicated relationship with yourself anyway in life I think for, for different reasons everybody can probably look back over their teenagers uh, or their 20s maybe even 30s and find parts of their earlier life that were difficult for them to manage and then you sort of throw this it wasn't a divorce for me because it wasn't <laughs> married, but you throw this breakup or for you, you, you actually lose your, your partner, you know, and that, and it, it's just, yeah, it, it, you can understand why that leads to increased. Yeah, um, he, his dad actually did die of pancreatic cancer um, a couple of years before uh, homebrew. Don't do it. And Ben was, a, he was a drinker, um, but I never saw him drunk. If that makes sense, like maybe twice, but he would regularly drink two bottles of wine. But he was a big guy, you know, it, it didn't seem to impact his health. And yeah. occasionally we'd do dry January together and he would last two days, I'd last five. But what he didn't do is he didn't go for the blotto. For me, I get drunk very easily and I've just seen an article, or it might have been on Instagram, <laughs> about how if you are neurodivergent and particularly ADHD, your tolerance mm. is very low. And it's one of the reasons we're quite susceptible to taking drugs because it enables us to... Um, drink more so we're going to go around in circles in this aren't we anyway but I'm quite open about my drinking my dad was an alcoholic he's been sober for 25 or 30 years and I I wasn't really aware of it because I was quite young and my dad would just fall asleep so I was like why is mom so angry dad's just sleeping um yeah. but now having spoken to him he was he was a television journalist in the 80s <laughs> it, it was party that there was on you know the platinum credit cards and off you go so it was the world in which where if you didn't drink you'd be a bit weird so mm. and I and I think it is changing I do think it's changing but then I go to school school blah, blah, school sports day and I see mm. and I'm going to get on just my little soapbox for a minute and I believe me old me would have hated me he causes 40 cancers directly like mm. we can't have sunbeds because it causes skin cancer but we can have something that causes 40 cancers. It, it, I mean, we know it's money, but the mind boggles. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Ben and I, we, we drank socially and we probably drank a bit too much. And I do have some very deep regrets, actually, about what I've missed. Because we will have had, and we did have these, you know, those kind of post-coital conversations you have where you're all naked and glowy and um, you just talk about your childhood and things. And I can't recall it all. And I just so badly wish I could. Yeah. Your time hasn't helped. I mean, that's not, I'm 43 mm. in my mind is what it is. <laughs> I, I find that as well. I, for some reason, I was thinking yesterday, how did I feel generally when I was in my 20s? And I, I really struggled to remember what, it's amazing <laughs> how you just forget, don't you? You just forget. Um, so coming back to when you were, leading up to the point where you decided enough was enough you know that was nearly two two years ago what was going on kind of this time two years ago for you just before you made that choice so the drinking escalated after Ben died of course it did I had nobody to supervise me I was in the most excruciating pain and it's hard to describe unless you have experienced a loss of a similar magnitude but it genuinely is physical I struggled to eat and sleep and, and look after myself. So um, 
an alcohol was my friend. I was my mum lived with me for a while, so I'd hide alcohol in the school recycling and stuff. You know, it was all very sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Um, but it was getting worse. Then my parents moved out, and then I dipped in my toe into the world of online dating because I was just desperate for some compassion, some physical comfort. Mm. And in order to do that, I would have to get very drunk, and it mm. really got to the point where I was driving the kids to school, um, and I really probably shouldn't be. And then lock, lockdown happened and everybody, it seemed, was drinking and normalised. We had that wonderful summer, didn't we? And, you know, you girls mm. in the garden and your friends would be sharing them on WhatsApp groups. And I had, oh, fuck, I, was, I had people posting me, like, stuff, you know, and I was getting alcohol delivered and I was just numbing everything out. Like, when John was carried out in, by the paramedics, I was pissed. You know, that could have been the last time he saw me. But whilst I knew I should stop, I carried on. And um, I had had attempts at stopping in the past. I did go to AA. Um, it wasn't for me personally, but I know it saved my dad's life and I know it saved many others. But it, it wasn't for me because I knew that I was going to have to take back the power. So I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, I was 40, hard to believe, in lockdown. And John had arranged one of those little glow things and we lived next door to a nice restaurant. So they bought me some rounds, some food and stuff. And it, it, we managed to, to, he did a great job. But because I loved a party, I wanted to get drunk with my mates. I wanted a frock, I wanted my hair and makeup done. So um, he booked a, a suite at the Dorchester, which, yes, I know, what wankers. And we had the first night there on our own <laughs> and got drunk. And then the next day, I just felt a bit shit. And this is like my weddings as well. You know, I just felt a bit shit. And there's that padding on the makeup. And I'm just thinking, I'd, if I'd drunk water yesterday, this would be so much easier. Yeah. And then got down to the party, which was in the restaurant in the basement um, of the hotel. And we'd booked a private dining room and like all the people I loved were there. And someone says, you know, do you want a line? And, and that's it. It is. And I'm drinking. I don't, I don't like champagne. I don't actually like alcohol. There you go. I've said it. Um, and I never ate the food, which apparently was the best food ever. I Everybody up to the suite. So I'm then having to evict people from my romantic night away at four o'clock in the morning. Then found, you know, he's having to wake me up to leave. I'm fully dressed, including my shoes. And I just looked at myself in the mirror and just thought, what are you doing? Mm. Like, I, I think it was that feeling that if I hadn't known I'd done it to myself, I would have called an ambulance mm. because I felt genuinely felt poisoned. And as we left, I sort of threw on my joggers and, you know, looked super sexy. And we we went and we got a sandwich and I hadn't eaten carbs for like three years because I was keto. So it's all right that I drank yeah. And <laughs> and as we pootled up to the station and I just sort of said, as I always or often used to, um, I think that's me done, you know. And, you know all right. Um, and it was, it was. I've never drank again. I, I, sorry, I feel like I'm not letting you go, get a word in a choice. But um, I had a chat with myself, you know. I said, mm. why don't you do 100 days? You can do that. And if alcohol made your life better, yeah, it's 100 days. So, and I often tell people do that 100 days. Don't do sober January. January shit. That's not how you view sobriety. Like, do it in the summer. Go to parties, go to weddings, go to funerals, go to barbecues, 
do all the things that you would do. And, and that's a really scary thought. Um, but actually, it, most things are better. And you can leave when you want, which your previous guest said, Jen, I, I just listened to before I came on. The luxury yeah. in your own car. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It is a luxury, isn't it? You don't think about that when you're still drinking. That sounds just like really boring. And But it... Well, the it, it, on, and then have to get a 50 quid cab back, you know? That's, yeah. 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 And uh, there have been a couple of things leading up to it. You know, there were times I'd gone to a bottomless brunch with some friends who were a bit younger than me. And um, I'd said, oh, God, oh, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go. Stumbled out into Maidstone Town Centre. It's daylight, it's 2pm. And I'd arranged for a car to get me and I'm ringing him going, here, go and make me up. And it's just, like, it's just embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing. <laughs> and I think at some point you transition into an embarrassing drunk and I was never a horrible drunk I was never um but I will say with absolute clarity I have never done anything I'm ashamed of sober yeah Um, and everything that I'm ashamed of came from alcohol yeah yeah that's that is I mean that is exactly it isn't it in 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 a nutshell you just don't do shameful things (laughs) When you're not thinking. And it's like that, you know, as the previous guest said, you know, that I used to delete texts from my own phone so I couldn't look at them while I was drunk. So I'd have no clue what I'd done. And I just remember once going to a party at John's, um, I thought my business partners, and he, they, it was his 50th, so they'd gone to town, you know. Shola Amma was there, right? Well, at nine o'clock, I have to go home and throw up outside of a taxi. And then I wake up in bed I wasn't a regular puker, and um, John wasn't there, and he's always there. So I've been text, was I all right last night? And normally he would just say, yeah, 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 no drama, they're all drinkers. And he just went, not really. And I was like, oh, oh, God. And I looked down and there was vomit on the bed. And so there were there were, <laughs> there were moments leading up to this. I didn't yeah. just suddenly go, right, I'm done. It was, um, I think at the back of my mind, I knew I was going to have to stop drinking at some point. Mm so terrified of what lay below and who I was and I've mm. kind of spent the last two years figuring that out I've done therapy I yoga you I saw you getting in a nice bath and <laughs> I've just done my four degrees this morning um yeah <laughs> but not for my physical health I uh well for my physical health but not my appearance yes uh, no for your in, inner health yeah and my mental health yeah yeah and and I, I will, if if I may, just touch a little, I am neurodivergent. And I now understand that that feeling that you have if you're undiagnosed as a child, as so many women are, um, mm. that feeling of being separate, of being behind a glass wall. Now, alcohol smashes that wall and suddenly you're in the room. Uh, and I felt that nobody would want the other version of me, the version that got sad sometimes, the version that, um, you know, suffers from panic attacks anxiety all these things I didn't know I had because I was always drunk and when I say I was always drunk I'm talking about the longevity of it in your system I wasn't literally pissed every day but not far off um Mm. and it just I mean then that was scary to go out and have panic attacks I've never had them before so initially you start to think well this is doing more harm than good I might as well this is going to happen and, and, I, and I know I'm talking to people that may be further on than me, but others who may be beginning. And it, what it has given is far more than it's taken. And actually, 
I think once alcohol starts to take more than it gives, that's that's where you realise you can no longer continue. Yeah. I wrote down when you're lying, you can't moderate. When you're hiding how much you drink, you know, when you're watching the waiter to see whether they're coming to fill your glass. And yes. Going, oh my God, even you have three sips. Like, yeah. I have three glasses. So, yeah, yeah for yeah. me, gradual thing but it, it it also was kind of a, a very I'm quite stubborn and I said I'm not drinking so I'm not drinking yeah I relate to that I, I'm a bit like that I think that's a um a positive trait though now that's sort you of, are. <laughs> yeah that that sort of stubbornness it, it, and almost competitiveness I think yeah. with yourself if you say that well for me if I say I'm going to do something and especially if I make myself accountable by telling other people, there's no way I'm failing on that. I just can't do it to myself. So I, I, I do think that could be a really, really good tool for people in the beginning. I, I, I liked when you were talking about there were a series of incidents or experiences that were leading up to making the decision. I think a lot of people will relate to that. I've referred to it before as that it's like a, a death of a thousand cuts in yes. a way there's so many of these moments and actually it's not just even for me leading up to stopping although perhaps there were there were maybe there were more I can't really remember but I certainly remember those cuts happening in my teenage years and just carrying on which is I think if I really sat down and had to really really carefully think over my drinking career and all of the different things a lot of them I think I've forgotten I think the brain is quite good at pushing some with your last episode about the joys of social media camera phones not existing yes god right yeah that's right because I I, I've I've definitely been making mistakes with alcohol since I was a teenager you know doing doing stupid or shameful things carrying those things on in my 20s but being enveloped in this culture where it was just okay you know it doesn't matter it's Wednesday go out after work drink two bottles of wine don't remember getting home do something stupid wake up ha 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 you're so funny and that stories that sort of thing yeah exactly exactly so I think that um this is what I really like about steering away from always needing that big rock bottom I think a rock bottom or yeah the, the rock bottom thing it happens for some people, but for other people, I think it just can be like this series of thousands of cuts that build up over time. Yeah, that just suddenly one day, and I was exactly the same as you when you were talking about that. I could feel it in my body. I was exactly the same as you. I had ruined a night out for myself, just getting too drunk and waking up feeling absolutely awful, looking at myself in the mirror and just literally thinking what are you doing yeah. what are you doing like this is not yeah. fun this is not a way to live really? and that being enough to make me stop that's saying it's not fun and that's so true because when you're in addiction I think it's very the difference is you're not having fun because who's having fun if they're kind of half listening to the conversation but really they're thinking about their next drink or their next line or their you know shall we get some bottles to go home it was never enough whatever I was I could never be fully in that moment I was always thinking about what's next and I would make these promises of course I would I'll only drink at the weekends I won't drink around the children and 
one of my children goes to school, there's a off license, and I would drive, <clears throat> park near, go in, get the bottle of vodka, put it in the car, and then go and get my daughter. So it's it was as soon as you start doing things that are you're ashamed of, and I hate this word, but I think it's a really good one. It's if you're kind of authentic and true, then you cannot be caught out in a lie. You cannot be caught out as a fraud. Mm. I spent many many years under what I now know is just fear of being caught out because mm. I like you can hide behind this kind of you know well presented sometimes um middle class <laughs> my kids and I get my kids have got the you know, Monty Hector Tabitha they go to school you know and, and, and nobody knows what goes on beneath mm. the surface because you put your lipstick on and your smile and and I'm trying now to show people a little bit more of what is beneath the surface and it isn't always pretty <laughs> sometimes it's pretty pretty damn scary but what I have found is the idea of this you your vibe attracts your tribe so I sort out the party mums at the school gate you get a vibe you know he'll he'll Mm. go out on a a, and I would organize a night out and then suss out whereas the school that my daughter's at I joined or she joined it because she's only near one um sober I I was so she's definitely sober I was sober and I gravitated towards different mums and I have I, I mean, I've only known them a year, but they have become my um, my village, you know? They yeah. be with school runs and I help them. And if I guess I am prone to um, neurodivergent spirals in episodes and meltdowns. And I've talked about it. I haven't hidden it from them. And that's been quite yeah. as well. That is so freeing. Yeah. Being in a situation where you are around people that love and accept you for who you are. And a lot of that is because you are comfortable and accepting of yourself, of being who you are. I just think that is what it's all about, really. You know, living living life as you are who you are inside and not trying to be what someone else wants you to be or perform for anyone or, yeah, or feeling embarrassed about parts of yourself, just accepting all the parts of yourself and putting that out into the world but then like you said creating this friendship network and the relationship that you have I think with yourself because I think that's the thing that really really begins to grow in sobriety you just you just start to get to know who you are and you learn to love and accept who you are and I just think that's so beautiful it's such a really nice and for me was quite an unexpected bonus yeah in that in this journey I, self-hatred is is probably too harsh it depends what cycle I'm in but I would it would all be very very inward to me I'm at, I'm at fault I'm to blame I, I was a people pleaser I was like you know I was a performing poodle and actually I used to sometimes feel like a ventriloquist dummy you know and somebody was moving my strings but yeah. it's now I go out and I spend time with people who I want to spend time with I do things I want to do I've learned the word no and yeah. It's quite, if you really, really think about it and you think, okay, so I've got this event to go to, I'm going to this dinner and I'm going to see these people. Well, I can't drink. I don't want to go. Do you want to go at all then? Because I could never understand how some friends of us, we would go out for dinner and somebody would drive or just say, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. (laughs) Oh, you know, quite disparaging actually and quite rude, Mm. to be honest, because you want everybody to drink like you do. And Mm. you think if they're not, there's something that actually shines that light. And I've lost friends. I've definitely lost. I lost friends when Ben died. 
and I've lost more friends since I stopped drinking because what you then do is project back into them. But I don't know, you 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 find the new normal and I like going to the theatre and I do still like going to restaurants because I like the food now. Um, and I like gigs, I go to concerts. Um, house parties, less keen, but I am having one myself in a couple of weeks, so we'll see. Uh, but again, it's on my terms, it's in my hand. I'll choose the music, I'll choose the food. Oh, it has a hard finish at night. My house. Um, and it's it's just about finding what I think what works for you and not trying to live the same life you had before because if you were drinking that much, you were faking it out really. Is I'm sort of thinking on the hop here, this wasn't in my but I don't know, like some people will continue to go to clubs and bars and parties and have a, I've had to have a friend who was the last on the dance floor when she was heavily pregnant. She, she just doesn't care. I haven't danced on a dance floor and I haven't sung in public. So I'm taking Zumba lessons and singing lessons only, only to do karaoke. But. It's funny, actually. Um, I love going to um a party or a wedding where I can have a dance it's, it's quite rare for me now I think in the nearly five years I've been sober I've I've been to my own wedding <laughs> and I went to another wedding last year and there's been a couple of occasions when I've been able to dance and I really enjoyed it once I got past the initial weirdness of it and I was at a, I was at a weird um is it Karen Steiner this thing that was touring the UK which is a sort of it's an ex- a dining experience where the staff are really rude to you. I, d- I don't know how I ended up going. It was some of my old friends invited me, and I I said yes without knowing what it was. And when I got there, it was a it was a bit of a weird experience, but it was still it was quite fun. But I'm not sure if I'd go, ever go back. But they they chose people in the audience oh, no. to do horrible dares and things like that, and I got chosen. And um, and basically, this it, this intro of a song came on, and you had to sing the words, otherwise everyone would boo you and call you shit and call you horrible names, right? And so I was thinking, the first I was number two in this lineup. The first song came on for the first person, and it was a rap song, and I, I think it was like Jazzy Jeff. And I thought, I know the song, but there's no way that I would know the words to that. And so I was really panicking. Um, and based, bearing in mind, this is at like half nine at night. Everyone's really pissed by this point. I'm completely sober. And then the start of my song came on and it was dun, 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 which is the turnaround Bonnie Tyler song. Thank you. Because, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry to the listeners that are out there. I did a really bad rendition of that. And I was just like, oh my God, I love this song so much. I've been singing this, belting this song out since I was a teenager. And I knew all the words to it. And I really sung it and really belted it out. And it, and it was quite good, I think, because I was like in the room and in the moment. And, uh, and it was just a really funny experience of where that's the first time, I think, I've ever had the opportunity to access that old part of me, which is very extrovert and can be a bit flamboyant and like likes to sing and likes to get up on the tables and dance. I could do that, but doing that in a sober state was absolutely electrifying because it, I just walked away from that on a massive high. Someone videoed it in the crowd. They sent it to me. I managed to share with my friends and family. My husband loved it. And it, it was just such a surreal experience because 
I wasn't drinking and I hadn't had that experience. So my point there is that maybe your experience is at some point, you know, it's, it's down the line for you. That might happen. Script to you, but I am actually going to be singing at Woodstock this year if things go well. So Woodstock is my festival. I did it in my garden last year, 25 people, because I had the guests that could get here who'd been on. Uh, it's grown. So it's hosting in my kids' school field because it's cheap. And um, and then next year, so, bigger. But the idea is that we're going to have a band and I love country music and I've got, and so I'm going to learn a song and I'm just going to sing it because. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that is so cool. You'll love that. And it will be so symbolic because it really will be, I'm free. And it's all about this kind of, I don't know, talking about love for yourself. And that's really hard, isn't it? That's really hard, especially when we've been told by media, social media, that we're fat, we're ugly, we're old, you know, we're failing at everything because we're not doing everything perfectly. Um, and I think I'm creeping towards acceptance now. I, yeah. I, I like this morning, I, I was on my own this morning. So I had to get two children at schools at half an hour away at nine o'clock. I, I can't. So I rang the youngest school and said, I'm really sorry, she'll be in late. She's packed lunches, blah, 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 blah. And as I'm driving, I can feel the anxiety and the stress. And I'm almost shit. And then I just thought, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to be late for school. Yeah. Drinking. I don't think they were ever on time for school because yeah. five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes. And it's, and actually this morning, cause I did actually sleep last night. It was a bit, I was, I felt chaotic and I felt, it felt reminiscent of that time. And I just thought, I don't ever want that. that yeah. And I don't know uh, whether your children, where you've, you've got uh, um, little children as well. I think have you got one little. Yeah, my, mine are three, eight and 10. So, so a couple of them are similar ages. So when I, Hector, who is my middle son, he's autistic and he's more, um, he's, he presents more typically autistic than me, but he's he's very articulate and very bright and very intuitive. Um, and um, he said to me, so I, I said, I'm, I'm being interviewed today, Hector, because they, they love that podcast, I think it's well cool. And, um, and he said, oh, what on? And I said, oh, it's about being sober. And he went, and what's over? So no, no alcohol. And then, and he, and he sort of thought about it for me. And I thought, oh God, here we go. And he went, your friend Jen came out and you used to drink wine, but you don't really remember you drinking any other time. And like Terry, the weight that lifted off me because I oh. that they would remember me stinking a boot. I used to joke that my kids would associate red wine and Chanel with me. Oh, yeah. thought. A horrible, horrible yeah. thought. And because, um, neurodiversity runs in my family I am I've made the choice to talk quite openly to them about certain things you know age appropriate because they are susceptible and they are they are you know the statistics show there are much higher risk of addiction um, and and, uh, uh, reckless behaviors so by telling them that I'm I'm fallible too and Popper Mm -hmm. is fallible I'm hoping that it it makes them a little more careful they'll all have a go won't they I mean the trend Mm -hmm. does seem to be changing but um I, they're my kids I'm fairly certain I'm fairly certain they'll be vomiting in a bush at some point but as <laughs> the they grow out of that's fine yeah um, my parents because my dad is um he refers to himself as an alcoholic I don't I just say I'm in recovery but from addictions because something about alcoholic makes you feel worse when you're better I don't know so let's talk a little bit about what you did to get sober because obviously it is a new world it is a whole new world uh so what sorts of things did you do when you woke up and you you know you had your joggers on and you made that decision that's it 
tell me what you did. Tell me about that first 100 days, if you can remember it well. Well, yeah, I don't remember huge amounts of it. I didn't really tell anybody because I had done previously the Facebook post, I'm giving up alcohol, you know, um, and then hadn't. And I had managed, I think I did nine months, maybe even before. I did a maybe not that long, but I did a whole summer. I was using quite a lot of cocaine at the time and it was beginning to cause it was beginning to cause problems. And um so I stopped and but then somebody put a glass in, in my hand and I thought, well, I know I can do it now. So I'll just yeah. spend time on like, but you and I'm sure you've said this before, and I, it's a very well-known thing within the sober community, is you never go back to where you began. You go back mm. to where you ended. So immediately I'm back in again. And I suppose doing that a few times, bouncing in and out, makes you realise that you have got to take it seriously. So yeah. I didn't have any alcohol in the house. Um, we did go for dinners and things. But as I said, sometimes they would be problematic. Um, I found, i tell you what else, Terry. This is the thing that got me, right? I'm quite sociable. So I'll have a chat on school gate to anyone. I'll have a coffee. We'll, I'll, I'll go out for lunch. I have people around my house. I like people. I like talking to them like you. I like. The, I want the stories. I want the nitty gritty. I don't want the bullshit. And I sort of thought to myself, if you can do that sober normally, why do you have to have a drink the second it's in the evening? And I don't, the answer is I don't know. Um, something about the transition process maybe. But for me, the big, the big gap was the 3.30 till 7.30. Yeah. Um, I watched a lot of telly. Um, initially, I used cannabis. Um, I don't anymore. Um, I It helped me get off the booze. But it and but again, you got to get off. You can't always be numbing with something. So um, I got diagnosed with ADHD. I got medicated, which I know a lot of people are unable to access. Um, and I have been medicated for over a year now, which has enabled me to do my podcast. But also they're not drinking. And, and I if it's the claim is true, it will have helped all down the, the addictive side in my personality. So perhaps that's helped. But um, I'm not, I never, I don't like the taste of alcohol. So if I'm on holiday now, I might have a non-alcoholic shandy because that makes me feel like I'm having a holiday drink. Mm. And I like virgin mojito far more than I ever liked mojito because they didn't have Oh, same. Same. It's something about a virgin mojito that is like I a thousand drink. times nicer <laughs> than a mojito mojito is just what even is that is that tequila that's in it but it's just um, is it I don't know but it was always too strong for me to be honest Terry if you gave me a bottle of lighter fluid at some points I'd have knocked it back yeah it was (laughs) anything and everything um I, I was never a drink in the morning and um it, I actually, sorry, I'm referring to your guest at least because I just listened to you. And, uh, and she said, oh, we're waiting till 12 o'clock on holiday to have a drink. And I was like, 12? Like, yeah. And that is hard. All inclusive holidays are hard because you're watching people around you drinking all the time. But again, I found a non-alcoholic drink I liked and I rediscovered food. I mm. actually, so I'm apologies to anybody considering sobriety for weight loss. Initially, you may actually put a little on because I you get all your sugar from alcohol, don't you? So I was mm. earlier I was keto. I don't, I don't have a sweet tooth. Um, I stopped drinking, and then I had a sweet tooth. But I gave myself permission to eat whatever I wanted, to yeah. say no to whatever I wanted, to get fat if I needed to get fat, or to get to the gym if I needed to get to the gym, and. It's and then it levels out and your appetite settles because um fortunately I don't seem I 
Um, and so I do think that helped. And I know that not everybody is able to access that. Uh, therapy, I've done a lot of therapy, talking, uh, having support, having my dad. My dad has been my biggest, biggest supporter throughout my entire life. He was, both of my parents were, were at my door. They were, in, um, they were in South America when Ben died. They were back by the next day and at my door and they never left. And Aww. my dad is, he, he inspires me in many ways. He's a journalist, a broadcast journalist. And then, and he's sober and those, and this, to be sober back then when the pressure mm-hmm. and as well, you know, and he just did it with such panache and he is the first on the dance floor. And when John and I got married, we eloped in lockdown, but we had a big party in our garden and we had a band and my dad had promised he wasn't doing a speech. He did a speech off the cuff. And it's so I look at him and I just think that's 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 where I want that's what I want I want you know mm. and the idea that you can't do anything without drink now to me seems abhorrent but back then it seemed just so normal and yeah. I'm saying to my dad God so you won't even be able to have one glass of champagne to taste my wedding that's weird and of course yeah. not understand at all that no alcoholic wants one glass we want we want ten and a bottle yeah. 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 And also I think you really start to question the value of even having one glass anyway. The further into sobriety you go, I think you you start to realise that one glass just it doesn't give you anything. And it's not, not worth it. it. Yeah. No, I'm the same. And I find it really insulting actually when people say, Oh, go on, have one. And because they're almost saying to you, you're too boring without alcohol, so please could you yeah. could you level up for the rest of the group? <laughs> that's not fair. And so I do. I think naturally, as I said, your your friendship circles change, and the things you do with your friends change. Do you know one of my friends is go for a walk and a talk with my dog and my friend and a friend. I love it, mm-hmm. and I like the fact that people now will tell me things because I'm open. So you get much more. Mm-hmm. And, you form these human connections that no matter what alcohol adverts will try and tell you, you they you can't form them when you're inebriated. You just can't. Not not to the same extent. No, they're not as deep, are they? I don't um, think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's also that um that narrative of people feel like oh, I'm gonna be so bored, you know, what am I gonna do? I just feel quite flat. And I always think I saw a quote and I always love it. Don't mistake peace for boredom. You know, it's just maybe you just feel more peaceful and learn to be in that because that is actually, well, who doesn't want a peaceful life full of contentment? <laughs> you know, like. You've got all these busy brains, um, which, which I certainly do have. And a lot of my friends who battle alcohol but also have. And I think alcohol works like a sedative, so it shuts down the, that busy brain. Um, and I, I, I just, yeah, I just think it's, it, for me, it was a way of, of turning down the noise. But you're right. And it, doing now, whilst I'm watching the TV, I'll do a bit of yoga. Or I really need to find it. I'm not regular going out in the evenings when it's dark. And so that's, then I get bored and then I eat. <laughs> but I'm my I don't really do resolutions but I I'm planning to maybe just do like one evening yoga class a week just just, mm. just take steps and find things to do because otherwise you're t- it's, it's going out to eat going out to the pub um mm. and 
it's finding yeah finding other stuff that you like and for me personally it came it was a two pronged attack really because yes I gained an awful lot um but I also had to do a lot of grieving because the first two years since Ben died no longer than that to be six years six years the first four years I was drunk and I yes I cried yeah yeah of course I did but I'm now having to feel some really, really dark stuff because mm. he's, he, I don't know how much you know, but he he was lost at sea during a scuba diving trip. So he's actually never been found. So that leaves a lot of time. Oh. Now, but what I'm doing now, it has to be done. you got to go and poke that wound because if you don't, it festers and it sits there. And, and actually you think that you're doing the right thing by kind of ignoring it, but the ugly messy has to come out. And so that that's why, you know, for many people, they're, they're, First couple of years of sobriety may not be so turbulent. But the other thing to remember is that shit things happen. Every you know, you go through a year with that one shit thing happening. And to not have my automatic response to anything to open a bottle is freeing. It is, it's free. Yeah. It is. It is freeing. Um yeah, God, I'm so sorry for your loss. That must be really difficult. It, it, it's it's the most awful thing that's ever happened to me. Um, it, it's something that you only think happens to people in in television series and things like that. But it didn't. I didn't die as well. But if, had I carried on drinking, I either would have continued to live a half life, and I deserve more than that. My children deserve more than that. Or eventually, I would have died. And um, a, a friend, a former friend, we had fallen out actually um, in lockdown. She died fairly recently of what I perhaps suspect where alcohol complications and I think the realization is that you hit that midlife point because I have friends who are thinking of quitting drinking who aren't alcoholics but you you hit that midpoint you realize you've got a choice to make you can either have 40 years of you know being bendy and flexible and healthy or you can continue to drink and use and and treat your body like a a bin and even if you get those 40 years they ain't going to be great but any old you see but they do yoga they fit yeah, I, I definitely have that in the forefront of my mind. And I listened to a Rangan Chatterjee podcast because I really like his podcast. I think it's Live Well. Feel, I, I literally never get that name right on air. It's so annoying. But Feel Better, Live More. Yeah, I don't know. It's something like that. Um, um, But he had a guest that was talking about the marginal decade of your life which is essentially the last 10 years of your life and being in my 40s and I think they were talking from that perspective of being in your 40s what can you do today what things can you do today to set yourself up and prepare for a strong you know, full of vitality, marginal decade. And I I think about that a lot. You know, I think about the choices that I make today and how that might impact or influence how I feel later on in life. And I think having children later, you know, I had Sadie when I was 43. And so when she's my age, I'm going to be late 80s you know she and she you know and I, I sort of think about that and I think we can't we, we don't know exactly where we're going you know we don't we can't predict life but I do think that we can make choices that help to set us up for 
a better outcome, at least trying that. And I think giving up drinking is, is absolutely number one on that list. Probably his weight, but we'll still drink or I can't, or I'm always getting ill, but you're always drinking. And and actually, I talk about my dad quite a lot of this. I haven't asked for permission, but he won't mind. Um, and he is incredibly fit. He uh, he actually had um, prostate cancer last year. And he had that it removed and he's recovering very well. Um, but they were astonished because he takes no medication. He yeah. cycles 20 miles a day. He's doing Land's End Jolly Grapes this year because if he doesn't do it now, he won't. He's 73. So, it's, you know, you do realise you've got to do these things. But yeah. he you know, he gets off the sofa with these. And that's what I want. I don't want to be one of these old ladies. I don't want yeah. to be a bit off the sofa. I want to be the sprite. There's a lady called Rose who goes to my uh, yoga class and she's like in her 80s and she's doing downward dog with the rest of us. I want that. Yeah, yeah same. Same. That, I, I feel like that's really important. And actually in this podcast, when they were talking about this marginal decade, they were talking about simple things like opening a jam jar which I think you just take for granted that you you just think you will be able to do. But I think the message was that if you're not doing certain strength training or certain exercises now and, and keeping that consistent, you will struggle to open that jam jar in your yeah. and late I'm 70s or 80s. So I'm, you know, that's the yoga. And I've actually bought, it's been in a cardboard box for going to say six six months in my living room uh, a pull-up bar and I'm going to put it we've got a pergola outside and I'm going to put it up and I'm going to I won't be able to do anything on it but I thought every time I go past it if I just dangle until I can gradually and okay, but if I did that every day for a year I'll be doing yeah. that. I did it with yeah. um, handstands in the summer I taught myself to handstand just brilliant because I couldn't get pissed, so I've got to find something else to do with yeah. I'm I'm a bit jealous actually because I bought the pull-up bar myself as well. My husband said, We are not putting that up in our house, you know, because yeah. and I was thinking, Oh, really? And he says, No, we're not putting it up because we'll, we'll I'll literally bang my head on it every time I go yeah. into the cupboard and you won't use it, and it will just be a real source of frustration. So <laughs> I did get rid of it in the end. But no, I think you should go for it. Go for it, get it up. I will, uh, I'll, I'll take a picture of me dangling. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It could be the episode cover. <laughs> um, what's been the biggest gain, do you think, for you in sobriety? So I wrote this down and I under, uh, did I underline it? Well, it's, it's my life. I'm alive. Um, I'm alive and I'm no longer li- living a half-life. I don't um, spend my entire life obsessing about alcohol. I don't wake up feeling like I need to be hospitalised. And that's a massive plus because I read a book years ago and it was, I can't remember what it was called, but it said at the end, the benefits, and it just said, no hangovers. And then it was said, I'm going to repeat that, no hangovers. <laughs> you think how debilitating hangovers are. Mm. I would miss things. I would, the podcast wouldn't exist. No way. Mm. I needed somewhere to channel that energy. And so, so that's been my primary gain has been my own life. The second one has, and I know this is a little tweet, but it has been the relationship with my kids. And um, we have a very open and frank household. We have to because of, you know, things that have happened. And I went away with my eldest son for a couple of nights to Budapest. And we are friends, you know, because he, I want my kids to trust what they're getting to know who's coming in that door, to know who's... Because the dragon that comes down the stairs with a hangover, that's not nice. 
Um, mm. I'm not saying that I'm always perfect. Of course, I bollock them all the time. But that's mm. what parenting is. But they know that I'm consistent and I'm honest and I don't I don't make promises to them when I'm drunk and then forget. Stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's given me many. I've got a tracker. It's that thousands of pounds. I don't know where that money is, but uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Um, I've a new wardrobe because then I did lose weight. Um, <laughs> I realised that spending money on myself in terms of having a massage, or because I'm like, oh god, I'm not spending fifty quid on a massage. Fifty quid on champagne. I've two. No problem. Yeah. And it's just prioritising. So, and, and actually, probably my. my my relationship and, and my relationship with my parents because they for years worried about my drinking but my dad knew as an alcoholic himself that you cannot stop somebody until they're ready my mum disregarded this and tried to get me to stop many times and it caused a real barrier between us I felt she was controlling um whereas now I don't drink that barrier is gone and we are we're much closer it's brought me a new network of friends it's introduced me to yoga it's um I've got great skin man like it's it's I, I, it's taken nothing and given everything oh that's such a good line might steal that actually <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant really good um what would you say has on the flip side what's been the hardest part for you feeling stuff feeling stuff yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and and I'm not even just referring to Ben I'm, I'm talking to growing up undiagnosed with autism um I had terrible trouble with eating disorders I was bulimic for 15 years I spent time in a psychiatric unit as a teenager so it, it, I had to go back and unpick all of these traumas um which you know what did my the little traumas not big traumas you know I wasn't abused or harmed or in any way but I put myself in very dangerous situations and some dangerous things did happen and I think alcoholism and bulimia are very, very similar. I think they give you in a, a very similar oblivion and a very, I, I really think they're interlinked and, and there is definitely crossover with um, ADHD as well. Um, so the hardest thing really has, has been facing those feelings that I've worked really fucking hard to not feel. And, and, and I know they, I, this, they have the, the, the um, uh, apologies, you make amends. So I say to my children, because you know when they're going, oh, I'm sorry, and then they go and do it again. That's mm. my children. If you are sorry, you won't do it again. How can I hold them to the same account? So I've I have apologised. I have said sorry, and I. But the only way I can forgive myself is to not do it again. And mm. that's why when last night when I wanted so badly that oblivion, I craved it. You know that the soft, soft warmth of you know just feeling nothing. But I'm better than that. And I need to be able to look myself in the eye in the morning. So, yeah, the hardest thing has been having to face things thing on, face things head on and um, and not having nowhere to hide. Um, but it turns out I don't really need to hide. That actually the version of me that I was trying to hide is attracting people who are much nicer. And I'm, I like my life, if I'm honest. Most of the time, no lies their life all the time, but most of the time. No, they don't. Yeah. Well, that's part of the learning of the journey, isn't it? And just for context there, just because people might not understand the link with last night, we talked about this. Oh, yes. Came online, not to share the details because I wouldn't do that to you, but um, something some something happened and, and you were pushed into a, a, a temporarily dark place. And so you were saying before we clicked record that 
for the first time in a long time, you felt that real urge to drink because you were going through something very, very difficult. Uh, I I nearly wasn't going to be able to come on today because I got Yeah, I know. That would have been awkward, wouldn't it? You know, coming on and, yeah, but you didn't do it. And and we were also talking about how much you grow, I think, through... Just getting through those very, very, very challenging moments, and 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 when you do get through the challenge, really challenging stuff, that makes the normal everyday stuff seem quite insignificant in a way. And yeah, it's just sort of passes. It always passes, and that's what I have. It to does. Do. Um, and yeah, you know, it is a stubbornness as well because I have I can't remember the exact days. You could quickly look on my actual and talk as well um, of how many days I've done, and I don't want to break that cycle and have to start again. I don't want to go back to hang on here. I'll tell you at it live. I am well. That's not uh, six hundred eighty-three days sober. So, oh, so good. Yeah, I'm, I I don't want to break that that spree. Um, and actually, when I hit the hundred days, that's when I went public, and I was met with so much support and love. I was yeah. It, it, it was it was really lovely actually yeah it was nice yeah. I get the you're still sober I'm like forever mate <laughs> that's it this is just my life I think that's really nice actually because I think for people that are sub 100 days it can feel overwhelming sharing with friends and family that you're planning on not drinking certainly you know again or, yeah, or we go, whatever your yeah yeah whatever your um whatever you know whatever your target is but I was the same as you I think when I had shared that I was not drinking I was met with so much support and I see that a lot I see that with friends I see that with people in my group people are usually blown away by actually how positive and supportive um, people can generally be I know there's always the edge cases and sometimes there are people that project their own limitations (laughs) and it's also like going out for dinner with your friends and remembering everything. Yeah, like, nice. I don't know whether you've noticed this because I have no idea who your friends are. I've got myself in a tangle. Um, but I now notice how little people drink, actually. When Yeah, I- I've noticed that before. Because I just assumed everyone drank like me. Uh, and then you notice that they've had like one bottle of wine for the table and you're thinking, what, not each? I know, and they're drinking so slowly. And then they even leave a bit in the used to annoy me so much because I'd be like drunk yeah like what is that behavior that was never my behavior you know the exact comparison but it's something to do with you're either a raisin or a grape and once you become a raisin you can't go back to being a grape so my mum would be a grape she can drink one glass and that's it just um John was a grape me and my dad raisins I don't I I probably need to but to work out how to say that better because it worked when I heard it but no no I, I like it I like it yeah no I was I was definitely a raisin yeah definitely a raisin um uh, London to Brighton I like to get this into every interview I do right didn't technically run it I ran walk it but <laughs> as I crossed that finish line my mum gave me a bottle of champagne my mum and I swigged it and I just thought you've just done a kind of part of me it's like maybe you should do another one now you're sober and see if you can do it quicker but um I've told her to shut up because I'm old um March is a big month for me on my birthday is the second my sobriety date is a sixth and the date that my husband died is day 12 so it's kind of a uh it's a mixed blessing but I like the fact that that positive is in there and I also I, I write to my husband a lot he doesn't reply um but I think he would be very proud so not only Am I proud of myself of what I've done? Um, and 
I am trying to shed the shame of what I did before. But I know my kids are proud. Uh, my parents are proud. And, and how lovely when, you know, you see people looking at you with admiration because you're, you've achieved something and, and you're a better person as a result. So I think I have never met anybody who, because a few of my friends have then gone and tried the 100 days and who, I've not actually met anyone that's gone back after 100 days. I think it's always you have to experience as many things as possible and I would say don't just stay in the house like that's not your life you've got to just do the things that you want to do and that you would have done when you were drinking um and that seeing a sunset sober you know like that nothing beats that wine doesn't enhance anything it dulls it mm-hmm. um, weirdly I was sober at both of my weddings because I got pissed later in the evening but I um I wanted to say my vows sober so I think that tells me all I need to know actually about drink yeah yeah, I, I really like that, the the, hundred, the comment about the 100 days. And I would also add to that as well, because I actually have done 100 days before and then went straight back to drinking. Um, and the reason for that, even though I felt amazing after the 100 days, and I definitely should have carried on, but I didn't. The reason I think that that happened because I didn't do any of the other type of you know work in inverted commas I didn't read anything or listen to any audiobooks or listen to any podcasts or immerse myself into the sober culture that you can find online in Facebook and Instagram and I think had I done that that might have reshaped the success in order for me to be able to think, I want to really carry this on. So it's kind of, I do think, and that's why I think dry January, I agree with you, is a short period of sobriety. And whilst it's always good to have a break from drinking, especially if you drink every week or, you know, regularly, I do think if you can go into the 30 days, approaching it, you know, doing some of the work, immersing yourself in some of the books and things, and just give it your best shot, then get to the end of the 30 days, it's going to be a lot different than just hanging on and white knuckling and ticking off 30 days. Well, it's, it's like you're saying to yourself, this is a penance I'm going to pay. And then when this penance is over, I can be fun again. And to reframe is it's not a penance. You're doing yourself a favor. And then, and I just kept saying to myself, if I don't like it, I can do go back to it. If I don't like it, I can go back to it. And yeah. at any point, I can go, there is, well, I can have one in the house now. I'm, a, I'm in my studio, which is also the guest room. So the fridge has got booze in it from parties and stuff. Now I could sleep in here and it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. I don't feel, unless I, like, let's say when I'm distressed, I don't feel the lure of the booze. Um, but I think if you are treating it as a punishment to not have it, you, I mean, we all want anything we're told we can't have. We want it's like the nuclear button. I'd have pressed it. It's, yeah. it's especially an ADHD. I tell them to do something, not to do something. They do it twice and wear sparkles. But- <laughs> yeah, I know. And I think, do you know what? On that point as well, um, I was having this conversation with someone the other day about how do you know you are really emotionally sober? And by the way, I do think emotional sobriety can can take you know, a, a very good amount of time. It, some people could probably get emotionally sober in a year, but for me, my experience was, I think I felt more emotionally sober like a year and a half to, to around about this where you are now, I suppose. But it's that if you could have a bottle of wine without any consequences, would you still have it? And I think for me, there was a time, even in my sobriety where I would say, oh yeah, I just, you know, I'd love to feel that 
you know, that feeling again that when I'm in the party and, you know, it's all chaotic and blah, blah, blah. But there also there also was a time when I thought, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't want to feel the way that alcohol made me feel again. I don't want to feel out of control of my body and my senses and and be repeating my and just not feeling in my body. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's sort of almost just as basic as that, really, just not feeling like I'm properly in my body. Like it's almost like someone's taken over. Yeah. I've written down, as you said that, it's that, and I've written down, I trust myself. I trust myself to behave. I trust myself not to make a show of myself. And I also immerse myself into sort of sober literature. And I don't listen to many podcasts because I have such imposter syndrome that as soon as I started my own, I kind of stepped back from others. But um, yeah, Yeah. I read every book on sobriety going, right? And I I did that. I immersed myself in it. I had, uh, I, I reached out to sober friends and I talked about it and it just, one thing I read, and it was this thing about inhibitions, and people say, oh, I just drink to lose my inhibitions. Well, your inhibitions are there to keep you safe. So that so that you know if someone's walking behind you, or if a, a man, I'm saying man, but I, I don't want to tar all men, you know, has got that look in his eye. You know, I feel now that I could get myself safely out of the situation. As a teenager, I was unable to get myself out of an unsafe situation, and I still bear those scars. So it's, your inhibitions are there for a reason. Trust them. And trust and, and trust yourself because, yeah, it's it's that whole idea that we, just as we've talked about before, you know, that we only do terrible things when we're, we're pissed or we're using. So it sounds like such a simple thing to say, just stop. And it isn't always that simple. Some people do have to have um, medicated withdrawal. Uh, I I didn't. I never thought I had withdrawals, but I used to soak the bed with sweat. You know, that's withdrawal. Um, mm. So I think we can, and I think with this kind of veneer and illusion that we project out when we're drinking heavily, you can hide in plain sight for a very long time. And Mm. most of your friends may not even know you have a problem because they're all out drinking, but they won't know that you then go home and have another bottle or that you maybe had a bottle before you came out or when you were at the bar ordering drinks, you're maybe knocking back a couple of shots just to warm up. And my nights out used to be spent waiting for more booze or somebody to turn up with stuff. Now my nights out are spent interacting with the people I'm with. So f- for me, that's that's been a real transition and mm-hmm. something that I'm I'm I, I am really enjoying. And I mentioned I'm having a house party. I don't like people in my house, so I have my parties in the garden or I'd oh we go out. Um, and this year I thought no, I want them in my house. It's not going to be this kind of massive drunk fest. It's, there's got somebody doing me a grazed tables and, um, and and I'm not anti booze for other people. If you want to drink booze, fine. Yeah, but I to people out of my garden if they've been too drunk because yeah. I don't want that around my kids now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good for you. Sounds like you're absolutely smashing it. To be honest, I am um, some days. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Um, what What's your top three tips for people that are on this journey or early into this journey? Top one is is do is set a target. Set a target that's longer than a month, you know. And and uh, my my recommendation would be hundred days. I just mm-hmm. think in that time you are likely to experience most of life's events. Something will go wrong. There'll be a, a party event, and if you can um, if you can manage that, you and enjoy it. You may even be able to go back to drinking moderately if you're a, if you're great. Um, the other one would be learning to say no. You know, it, and there are things that we absolutely have to do, and they are, and I'm talking soft play and things like that that are very sensory and very overwhelming. 
also sells alcohol, by the way. Um, and there are things that you don't have to do, like you don't have to go to your mate's friend's birthday party, or you don't have to go to the work too if you don't want to, or you don't have to go to the school quiz. You, know, the, you don't have to do things, and no is a valid reason in its own in itself. So that is a word I would really recommend people learn to use. Mm. Um, and I think I think finally, I, I mean, obviously there's the therapy and things have helped, but I think the big one has to be almost separating yourself from that person and realizing that the person that did those things, said those things, made those mistakes, they were a creation and they aren't you because that's not the person that I am. And I think when you realize that you're separate from that and that the real you is actually pretty all right, then yeah. um, I, mean, I mean, I'm still early days, so I hope that I continue and I, I I don't foresee alcohol in my future ever. Lots, I get asked regularly, do you think you'll ever drink again? And I sort of said, well, the only time I might is if I go to Switzerland and I might ask for some Dom Perignon and some cocaine and go out on a bang, you know, before the lethal injection. But until that day, no, my life doesn't need the technicolor taking out of it. The technicolor's back in. And um, yeah, it, I don't want to go back. There's no going back. Amazing. How can we find you for people that want to follow your journey and also listen to your podcast? How can we find you? So I am available. I'm about to launch my own personal podcast, which is less grief related. And that'll be out under uh, my Instagram, which currently is Rosie Gilmoss. I, I think that's why I didn't put it in because I couldn't remember my own Instagram. Um, I won't do this while we're on mic. I'll send you the correct one. And um, But if you wanted to hear any more about my life as a widow, um, I have created a catalogue of 100, um, nearly 100 stories where people come on and tell their personal experience of being widowed. Much like people do with you, with the, the sobriety, everybody is different, but there are these kind of common themes that run through. Uh, the even-numbered episodes are sad, more sad. The odd-numbered are a little more lighthearted. So if people have... And, we're in the process of uh, creating a website so you can, it sounds really ghoulish, but so you can sort of search by death. Isn't that awful? Is that the world I live in? <laughs> um, but so, sorry, that's widowed underscore AF on Instagram or widowed AF uh, if you want to use um, websites. Um, and I am going to attempt TikTok at some point because apparently I got a. You're going to take a what? Attempt TikTok. Do you do TikTok? Attempt TikTok. I, I attempted it, but I found it all a bit overwhelming, to be honest. And oh, my phone as it is, and, and I really don't get social media and how to grow because I've got like fifty thousand downloads, but a thousand followers. So, if anybody wants to follow my Instagram, <laughs> that would be yeah. nice. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm planning on putting out some some podcasts about issues surrounding um, neurodiversity, particularly late diagnosis in women. Um, about sobriety, I'm not trying to steal your thunder. I would, <laughs> but because there'll be little individual podcasts um, and parenting. You know, I think parenting is something that so many of us are struggling with because of the what we're seeing on social media. Um, oh, I got loads. I got loads. All right, listen. And blended families. We didn't really dig into uh, that, but that, that, that yeah, is a good topic. Yeah, and I think, and I, I'm, I hope that you may come and do a, a little. Res- I'll, I'll be on the other side of the microphone, as it yeah. were. Yeah, maybe I could do like a hybrid sobriety slash blended family. Come on. Well, it's it's all what it is. It's conversations with. So I'm not going to try and pigeonhole them because, like my dad, he has been. He was a war correspondent. He was there when the Berlin Wall came down. Like he's got really, really cool shit to talk about. So I'm basically going to interview people I'm, I want to talk to because it's my podcast and can. 
Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> love the confidence. And I think that um, creating a podcast, you know, something beautiful comes out of something so sad. And much like this podcast, it helps other people, you know, and I think really well done for that. You should feel really proud of that. Don't you think that we feel this obligation because we've climbed out and made a few, you know, created, a, I would say you can give someone a ladder, but you can't make them climb it. And so we have done the work and it is work. It's not easy. It's hard. It's bloody hard some days, but you have to do the work to get the results. It's like anything. And so we're sort of sending out a message that it doesn't end here. You know, there, there is a life after. So in our own way, we're sprinkling some gold out there, Terry. We're sprinkling some glitter. I like that. Um, <laughs> and it helps people. And I think if you can help someone else's healing, that that is a really, you know, it's a privilege, really, I, to be in this position. Yeah, it's it's isolation and secrecy. Those are the things that will get you. And shame can't live in the light. No. I love it. You've got some really fab one-liners, by the way. <laughs> I'm into therapy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Rosie. Uh, it's been so nice to meet you finally we've been in contact on instagram you know we've been connected for a long time i remember when you, yeah i remember when you were first starting your podcast you know i think you reached out to me uh so i'm delighted to have managed to get you booked on now and thank you for sharing your story so much honesty and so much inspiration you know it's going to give a lot of people a lot to think about but also people can find hope in this story that things can get better so i can get over anyone can so yeah that's nobody, right that's common thing people say but nobody ever thought they see that i turned up sober to a party so and here you go but oh, thank you for thank having you. me on and thank you for the good work that you are doing for the community because i know that you're you you have to do it alongside your job i'm i'm i may have to soon but i've been uh i've been taking i took a couple of years out just to kind of get my head straight really so um yeah so thank you for everything that you do and i genuinely look forward to speaking to you again thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on instagram by sending a message to at sassy sober mum you can also find helpful tools and resources on my website sassysobermum.com If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.